Falls creep into the non-animated world. This is the Gravity Bros Podcast! We're back! Yo! I am Alec, this is my brother Lou. Uh, dude, what have you been up to? Uh, it's been a bit. We've been, I'm sure anybody watching this, is that, is that something we should talk about? Yeah! It's a podcast, man. We've been gone a long time, and I'm sure that people are uh, interested to hear uh, why, you know, what we've been doing. Because there are some people who they don't watch Jester Brothers Cartoon Theater, our YouTube channel. They only well, listen to the podcast. That's pretty much what I was going to answer what we were doing. We've been making YouTube videos on Jester Brothers Cartoon Theater. Yeah, I mean, in bigger news, I moved across the country, and I've gotten married. Yes, I uh, so now I live in Oregon, just like Dipper and uh, everybody in Gravity Falls. So I feel even closer to this beautiful podcast, this beautiful show that we talk about than I did before. Yes. Yeah, no, the moving was a very fun process. Obviously, Alec and I have been doing the YouTube channel in person now, and that's been cool. So it's been good. It's been good. Yeah. I'm so used to the YouTube flow. I keep wanting to be like, let us know in the comments or you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the last time that we left people off, uh, we were at the season one finale, which we loved. It was a great time. Uh, and now we're flash-forwarding straight into season two. I know we kind of promised uh, some, like, uh, podcasts on, like, the shorts of Gravity Falls or maybe the pilot, you know, sort of teasing some things. And, uh, you know, I didn't want y'all have to wait to wait any longer. So uh, even though we didn't get those yet, uh, I'm very excited to just hop right back into season two, right up from where we left off. Um, I, I should say we had a mystery that went throughout season one of the podcast. And I'm sad to say that nobody solved it. Uh, I'm just going to chalk it up to it being too much work and people deciding not to write it down because I believe it was solvable. Uh, I am going to leave it open if people want to go back and try to solve the mystery until we're done here. If nobody does, I'm happy to share the secret special video that only the uh, puzzle solvers would have found uh, no, at the I, very end. I actually just looked at that the video the other day and I was wondering if anyone had solved it yet. Well, <laughs> Lucas, without further ado, let's get back into Gravity Falls. Um, what was your like initial experience just hopping back in after we hadn't watched an episode in like six months? You know, it, it, I, I feel, and this was the case when we were watching it originally, this is one of those shows that I feel like it isn't that long, I've seen it a couple times, I feel like I know it really well, but you know, when you sit down and watch something for a podcast or for an analysis, you see so much more than you ever saw before, and I it, to such an extent in this particular episode that I'm like, did, I remember seeing it, but I was like, did I ever see season two, episode one? Like, this is such a strong opening, and there's so many things, and there are a couple little interesting details that I definitely noticed throughout this one that I'm excited to talk about. Well, I'm excited to get into them. I'm going to go ahead and kick us off with how this episode goes, and you're going to sprinkle in those insights from all these Easter eggs that you may have found. So... When we left off at season one, we had this teaser of Stan going into his vending machine. He has collected all three journals as a result of uh, the adventure that happened where Lil Gideon, uh, this villain kind of from our first season, was sent to jail for his antics. And next thing you know, here we are. Stan is opening up this major portal that is just within the basement of the Mystery Shack. And... You can definitely feel that this episode was largely meant to remind people of what happened in season one, uh, you know, that they may have forgotten, like a decent amount of exposition. And I'm fine with it, right? Because I am that person in this case. And I'm guessing when the episode released, it was probably about six months since the last one, too. So it's a good way to kind of reintroduce the audience to the story. Yeah, and when we do see uh, Stan start to fiddle with this extremely metaphysical, technological-looking device behind the vending machine, the way that they, with it, we see the light flash across these different scenes in the cold open, and it like really just visually describes and reminds us, like, oh, you see Gideon in prison, you see Wendy in bed, you also see where the government is and how they're about to play a role in this. That's all done in a very clever way. You know what I mean? Like, it's all a lot of exposition and in a very short, exclusively visual way. You're right. It's reminding us who the characters are. It's flashing these mysterious lights and telling us, oh, yeah, I think even Stan says something to the effect of, like, I think I'm going to get away with this. Or if, if I can finally pull this off, it'll all have been worth it. Um, and it really yeah. just teases the audience of what's to come uh, right before 
we get to this scene of two secret agents of some kind in a dark room and they say we haven't seen readings like this in 30 years and they very quickly identify where these readings are coming from to gravity falls oregon just as one of the agents says they suspected which i thought was really interesting also did you see i thought what was also really interesting was that uh the dot was actually more in eastern oregon than it was on west and all of the theory, you know what I mean? Have you ever seen all these theory videos that are like, this is where we, I'm like, it literally just showed you where the dot is on the map. Like it shows you oh, exactly where it is. That's fascinating. So I have not seen any of these theories. Um, and and that's I know the map point. of Oregon very well. And that is like way further east than most places that anyone knows about in Oregon. <laughs> Which makes sense because we are kind of supposed to be in the middle of nowhere here. Uh, yeah. as far as the placement. And I bet that was intentional. I bet they were thinking, where would this be in Oregon? You know, you can't put the dot at Portland. The one problem is that the, this is going to sound like the stupidest critique, but I'm just being honest. The topography of Gravity Falls does not match the actual topography of Eastern Oregon. It should be desert over there. All right. Well, uh, I I'm think just that's saying. A, a fair nitpick uh, and I won't spend too much time on it. Uh I'm just saying, if they wanted to be more accurate, they could have just placed the dot a little bit further to the left on the map. All all right, I think it's a great observation. And those are the kind of observations we're here for. That's the kind of nitpicking you get from Gravity Bros. So, Stan wakes up after we get through our cold open, theme song plays, and he welcomes the people to the grand reopening of the Mystery Shack. They're celebrating the defeat of Gideon. Uh, he even gives Dipper and Mabel a little bit of glory, uncharacteristically, even though they deserve all the credit. There's actually, like, three more things I noticed about that cold open that we need to go over. Wow! Okay, hold on! Stop! Uh, hold the presses! Lucas <laughs> caught some things that I didn't. Um, Sorry, I'm like, hold on, man, I'm flying through my notes, I gotta look through this. Okay, so first of all, this one's a spoiler, skip ahead five seconds if you don't want to hear this one. Uh, Homedog's wearing a six-fingered glove when he's working on the machine. And you see one of, the glo- one of the fingers flapping around. Okay, that's good. I think that's a f- not necessarily a spoiler, unless you know what happened. Good point, good point. Um, yeah, I, I, I literally even wrote down, I was pausing and looking around for details already, just to see what kind of stuff was going on. Um, he said, my greatest achievement. Probably should have worn pants, that was just funny. Um... <laughs> And then uh, the last, wait, I already wrote I said the thing about uh, Gideon being lit up. And then the other thing that I noticed, and what I think is important to see, because right now we're definitely being introduced to a plot line where we're supposed to question Stan's character and his motives, right? Yeah. And yet right now we're seeing him saying, no one's going to get me caught. And then he's kind of thinking about Dipper, like Dipper's the one who's going to get me caught. But he still has the picture of Mabel and Dipper on his, like, desk. You know what I mean? And that's still sweet, and it shows that he cares, even though he's worried. You're right, and we do start to get that sprinkled throughout the episode more, um, you you know, as we continue through the episode. And, you know, even when he sort of gives Dipper and Mabel the glory as they're introducing uh, the reopening of the Mystery Shack, there is a playfulness there. Like, you know, he loves these kids, and... You know, even when he's putting on a bit of an act trying to pretend that these things aren't there, he does clearly still care about them. And, you know, I think that that does add to the complexity of Stan's character, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But please continue. Sorry to interrupt. I have have, have too many notes and they're scattered. (laughs) Oh, do you? No, I'm telling you, this stuff is important. So they get photographed, the the Pines family, uh, for the news, and they plug this after party. There's going to be a karaoke bonanza. Mabel obviously is so excited about this. Um, and she even drew up a performance that the family band is going to play. You know, the band, which of course is named Love Patrol Alpha, that Dipper and Stan totally agreed to. I would never agree to that name. Quote, both of them? The nice thing about Mabel is that she doesn't give you a chance to agree or not. She just decides for you. That's what a good marketer does. So Stan is like, everything's going my way. The town loves me. Gideon's gone. And Dipper asks for Journal 3 back. And I'm a little surprised that Stan is willing to give it back so quickly here. Because he says, yeah, it was boring. I couldn't finish it. You know, continues with his lie that he doesn't know what it is. Well, yeah, but then we got the screen. Well, then we got the flash to him photocopying it. So he has the whole book. I think it'd be but, so sus for Dipper for him to keep it. 
that he's like, yeah, I need to make sure that I give this back to like lower suspicion. Oh, that's interesting. So you think it's more about if I don't give this back, it's going to look shady. So, oh yeah, he he knows how to be shady. He's the expert in shady. That is a that's yeah. a huge red flag. Oh, I don't know where the book went. Yeah, okay, okay, but sure I, you don't, but I think it's a calculated risk, and you know, it very well may be that Stan does not realize how close Dipper has actually gotten to figuring this stuff out. He kind of still maybe sees him as a kid, a kid that he likes, but one, you know, he's not that big of a threat. And I and I like him, so I want to give him his journal back. And, and I think that's a blind spot, you know? Maybe. Maybe. I think it was just to lower suspicion because he does see Dipper as a threat. That's hilarious. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that... I mean, it's uh, like, we said in the cold, like we said in the cold open, he's looking at Dipper and being like, I might get caught by this. Like, he is nervous. We're getting... We are... You know, we do have evidence that he is nervous about Dipper. <sighs> that's a good point. And it's even earlier than he gives the book back. So yep. that's... Uh, all right. That's valid. I appreciate that. Well... This, of course, takes Dipper back into spiral mode, because this is what Dipper does. He's like, oh my gosh, I have the journal, we need to solve all of these things, Mabel, come here, we've got to talk this through. And Mabel, you know, is just, like, doing her Mabel thing, like, I feel like you're taking this too seriously. Um, See, but- I literally relate to both of these children so much. I am 100 per- well, okay, this is about to defy what I was about to say about 100%, but I am like Mabel in that- I would be like super silly, you know what I mean? And really not take yeah. stuff seriously. But then I'd also be like Dipper and completely neurotically spin out on a topic at the same time. <laughs> I feel that for myself too. And I wonder if those are qualities that you and I as brothers sort of got in different ways. Because yeah, I can also be the most laid back ever. And then I can also be obsessively focused on something at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it's almost a product of... Uh the industrial and technological age and people being raised with, you know, phones and stuff. You know, gotta wonder. Sure. Well, and I mean, maybe it's part of the reason that we relate to these characters of Dipper and Mabel so much, as siblings especially, but just as characters on their own right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, but Dipper's asking good questions. He's like, you know, I, I like, I've gotten so far, but I'm not even close to figuring out the mysteries. Like, Gideon destroyed this town to get it. Like, but why? Who wrote this thing? Where are the other journals? What did Bill mean? Which uh, we are getting teased with Bill Cipher, the triangle demon character from the past, uh, when he you said know, that everything was going to change. The thing that I thought was actually really interesting is that this is, you're describing this and really illustrating it as like a, a Dipper's worried perspective, like a character moment. This was also like literally the best way to rush your exposition and remind everybody what was going on in the plot in an organic way. You know what I mean? I'm- Absolutely. No, that's a terrific point. Like, that is uh, exactly the purpose of this, um, you know, conversation is if somebody watched this for the first time because they didn't watch season one, they're immediately going to get keyed in on what's important. Now, they won't know who Bill is, obviously. uh, True. But, you know, it does at least tease this uh, everything was going to change idea again. And it reminds the audience of, oh, yeah, that's right. Bill did say that. Um just a little character moment here. It, you know, Mabel's reaction to this is just good thing. Like Lord Mystery Ham is on the way, and uh, she's got Waddles the pig, our beloved pig, with his little detective hat, and it's so cute. Oh, I do have one other note from from just a little bit before when uh, when because Dipper was also surprised when when Stan gave him the book. Remember, he was like, "Oh, you're just giving it back to me that easy." Remember, he was also a little surprised. Which also, right. in my opinion, include adds some evidence to him feeling like, like Dipper was was already suspicious of Stan, right? Um, but then he's like, "Yeah, sure, you want to kiss about it, or like you want to kiss on the cheek." And then after that interaction's over, Seuss leans in and he's like, "You know, I wouldn't mind a kiss on the cheek." Yes. And I just uh, had I have to highlight every single line that Sue says in almost every episode because they're always golden. <laughs> well, and you know this is only the beginning of uh, some amazing content from Seuss that we get in this episode, which we'll definitely get to. And it is Seuss that calls attention to a government vehicle that is waiting outside the mystery shack as Stan shuts his windows in fear. Two, three funny things about this. Number one, it's probably the most shaken we've ever seen Stan, which. Is, I mean, first of all, it shows the gravity of the situation, which is great. Gravity rules, gravity falls. <laughs> and then the other part is that uh, it's just really funny that this is the thing that really shakes him like governments here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's pretty funny to me. 
it was that, and the other time I remember him being this shook was when he accidentally lost Waddles. And realizing the gravity of that situation. Oh, you're right. Oh my gosh, that's such a great thing to relate it to. I love that. But yeah, and then the other two funny things about the agents was that uh, the the license plate said honk. Or no, there, there was a bumper sticker that said honk if you want to get arrested, which is hilarious. And then one of the agents' name is literally Agent Trigger. That's right, trigger and the powers. other one has a medical condition that literally allows it makes it unable, makes him unable, incapable, nonetheless, to experience humor of any kind. That it's is so, so hilarious. That is so ironically hilarious. It's a very Gravity Falls joke. It, re- it reminds me of like. A scene in the first season where uh, an old lady is saying she's going to die of a heart attack if, uh, you know, uh, Dipper, or sorry, if Mabel doesn't date Gideon. And the doctor is like, I can confirm that that yeah. will happen. I uh, am a doctor and I can confirm that that will in fact happen. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> they love to make jokes like this and it never fails to get me. Always so good. So, yeah, same. But yeah, that's what, honestly, I think what my favorite thing about this show is the more that I think about it are the like in between lines and the flavor and just the you know the one-liners that Seuss and Mabel have that just make me so happy <laughs> yeah well and you know I, I think that as we revisit this show I'm appreciating them even more than I did the first time um yeah because at first I just laughed now I'm thinking about it I'm like man that's so like intentional and creative it's so um, funny yeah like I feel like sometimes a lot of other cartoons just don't hit me as hard as this one in terms of like pure comedy you know what i mean not that a lot are going for it but this is a very funny show <laughs> it is constantly yeah and part of that is great characters that you can rely on uh like stan or seuss uh to just you're almost primed for humor whatever they're yeah. gonna say next but these uh these agents they are investigating mysterious activities uh, we are presuming that these are the same agents that uh, were teased in the cold open because we hadn't seen their faces yet. Um, and Dipper chimes in uh, as the these agents show up. Stan is, of course, shaken, like you said. But he's so excited that they are looking for mysterious things. He's like, I will literally give you everything that you want to know. Like, Yo, like <laughs> j- when I saw this, like the amount of like, I was looking at Stan and just thinking, my God, I would be so flipping paranoid if I was Stan. I'd be like, Dipper, I'm about to literally kick you out of the house. Like, I'm literally going to kick you out of the house if you bring the government in. You know what I mean? Like, I totally would understand how... (laughs) Honestly, at this point, you're not even considering Dipper a threat. You're considering him a liability. You know what I mean? Sure, that's a really good point in this case, because he means well. And listen, though, Stan, you are the one who decided not to divulge anything, so you have opened the door for him to Okay, make but, like, like, what exactly is the transition sentence to, all right, 12-year-old, let me explain to you everything going on with this in the basement here. Yeah, I get you. I mean, also, he gave him the book back, which, again, it's starting to look like a mistake. Bro, I um, think Stan played his hand perfectly. <laughs> As perfectly, oh, right. as, well, as perfectly as he could have. is, is he, I really do. I really he do. does play it well when he explains that Dipper just has an overactive imagination and that the paranormal stuff is all gift shop, lore to sell tickets. Very viable story, honestly. Um, and yeah, I think most adults would probably believe that that's true. Yeah, now these cops had given him this little card uh, and originally, you know, said, oh, call us or... Um, you know, we can talk, Dipper wanted to talk right now, but he still had the card. Stan totally confiscated that. He says that the last thing Dipper wants at an after party is cops, which is true regardless of the situation. Agreed. Also, I did think the one thing that was weird is why didn't you just like throw it away or burn it or something? That's interesting. He didn't even, like, you. we could go fan theory and say, like, oh, maybe he was going to use it for some Stan shenanigans. Prank call a... Actually, you know what? That's a pretty good reason. Keep it so that you can I... prank call a secret agent. That's pretty funny. Well, also, I do think that having their information handy could serve a future use. And, you know, Other it might than be... just a prank call, though? Maybe. I mean, y- at least you know who these people are, potentially, in their contact information. In a way, like, it might be a tool to avoid them. 
Yeah, but I feel like he wouldn't have put it in the confiscation basket then. He would have put it, you know, like somewhere more important. But I could be yeah. wrong. Yeah. Well, okay, and that's interesting. Let's let's get to uh, that box uh, yes. <laughs> slowly. So we sort of flash forward to this after party that they are having at night, and you know, maybe which getting a camera- looks objectively lit. I would just like to say, like, I absolutely would have been Mabel's friends at this party, just like one hundred percent dancing the whole time. Yeah, I mean, Mabel knows how to throw a party. That's been clear. Uh, you know, and we get more of that. You know, she's got her karaoke machine ready. Stan is sort of hesitant, but, you know, Mabel has a great point. Karaoke isn't about sounding good. It's about everybody sounding terrible together. What about the one person that's really good and makes everyone feel uncomfortable because they're like, wow, like, f- you. I don't know if they had time for that joke beat or the F word. That's a good point. Or the vocal uh, cords. Yeah, I, I, based on based on uh, some singing we hear later in the episode, me thinks that they also didn't have the uh, vocal talent for such a joke. Yeah, I'd, be, I'd be willing to bet the voice actors themselves are much better than what we got, and they're just singing badly well. But Okay, that's even, a fair point. You know, even so, uh, I do agree with Mabel. I think that uh, that is the fun of karaoke, which is great for me to watch other people do. Um, wow, aka <laughs> you disagree. You think the fun of karaoke is watching other people sing badly and you enjoying uh, it. You parasite. <laughs> no, I hate cringe. I've never gone to see karaoke either. I, I don't want any of it. Like, keep me out of the karaoke scene. That's my preference. <laughs> Some would say Alec doesn't karaoke. Uh, oh, all right. Secondhand embarrassment is not my thing. I hate any movies that have that kind of uh, effect to them most of the time. Uh, and, you know, karaoke feels that way. Sometimes you do hear somebody good, apparently, you know, from the peop- from what I've heard of the people who go see karaoke. Um, oh, yeah. I got one funny pick karaoke story real quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It, what, what it wasn't me. I was walking around in Vegas on the way to a festival, and somebody decided it would be hilarious to wire the public speaker from this bar from the karaoke machine so that everyone on the street could hear it. But the funny thing was they didn't put the music there. So you only heard the singer with no accompanying music at all. Super loud over the whole street. And it was so awful and so funny. And he was singing Ticket to Ride by the Beatles. Great song. Wait, so this is a prank? No, this was just like what the bar did. Oh, okay. So this is like a silent DJ situation. No, no, that's different. No, no, no. You could know. hear the music in the bar. Like the guy was singing to music, but oh. they were only broadcasting his singing voice, not the music to the street. Ooh, <laughs> that actually is kind of funny. It was so bad. It was awesome. It was so funny. We sat and watched it for, or listened to it for like 20 minutes. Homie started hitting well, some notes for a second, but not for very long. Well, Lucas, there's no better segue than Wendy talking to Dipper, your favorite plot point of the show. Uh, we're, we're not really getting teased with any of the Wendy Dipper say, stuff. Like, that didn't even happen in this episode. You're just trying to get me stimulated. I know, but uh, even so, they do have an important conversation because Dipper is actually distracted. He is not present whatsoever talking to Wendy here. Um, he, he, Character you know, growth. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Something like, or he's just, you know, we, we understand where his priorities lie. And Wendy tells him that Stan hides everything in his room and encourages him to go break in to get this card, this uh, business card that Dipper is so upset that Stan has confiscated. I think I might have even written something in here that's like Wendy is the leading cause for most of the conflict in Gravity Falls. I didn't really mean it, but it'd be funny if like you analyzed it and it ended up circumstantially being true. It'd be a fun YouTube video if you really yeah. wanted to like put, it's one of those things that even if it's not true, you could make people believe it was true That's just true. by I posting could, it to the I internet. Could, could create a great theory. Wendy is the reason everything happens in Gravity Falls, though. No. <laughs> All right. You heard it here first if that video ever shows up. Just know that we don't necessarily believe it. No, I'm not um, that video. <laughs> flash forward. Wendy actually does stop doing her job to help Dipper with this uh, scenario, but that's how Stan knows something is up because, oh man, where did Wendy go? Um, which I guess he shouldn't be that surprised about because she never does her job, but... Yeah, I was going to say, it's not that suspicious. Right. Uh, this is something where I'm interested to see or hear some of your insights because Dipper does go into this room, Stan's room, 
And, you know, I only noticed, like, the very quick observations. Like, he's got brass knuckles, some questionable magazines, nothing unexpected from Stan, until he gets to this contraband box uh, with the business card that Stan had stole. Did you find anything in here uh, that was particularly interesting? Honestly, I didn't, but I'll bet at least in the... I was looking in the room and I didn't see anything. I thought the magazines was funny. But, uh... I, I figured that if I had looked harder, I could have probably found something in the basket. I'll bet there was something in there. Yeah, I bet there was like a little something, you know, if you really were to interrogate it. But I was actually watching, even though I wasn't pausing it, and nothing really stuck out to me. Yeah, nothing jumped out at me. Which, if that's true, then it just shows how meticulous he's actually been about hiding stuff. Because that means we're not getting any six-finger gloves. We're not, get, we're, not, we're not getting any weird, unexplainable things in his direct room. Which, if that's done actually shows you how thorough he's really been, you know? It's a good point, yeah. And, you know, I, I should also say, Dipper actually gets away with this, even though Stan catches him in the act. Because he catches him, like, right after he's finished calling these agents. Which, by the way, when he starts calling the agents, I'm literally like, narc. You narc. You, you called the police? Are you crazy? What is wrong with you? Just ruin your life! You know what I mean? I was, like, screaming. I've seen this three times. I'm still screaming. Yeah, and it is interesting, like, this almost does surprise me from Dipper in the sense that I feel like he would be more cautious than this, but I also, no. I also think he's been chomping at the bit to have some kind of movement in this investigation, yeah. and he's willing yeah. to do anything. He, he He was just validated for his whole life purpose for the first time. Men in Black just showed up and decided that they wanted to potentially employ him, dude. That is his, like, fantasy. You know what That's I mean? That's a good point. No, you're like, right. It, it, there's no way he wouldn't give them everything. That narc. <laughs> yeah. Dipper's never been suspicious, now that I really, really think about it. You know, he's Not resourceful. Authority. Actually, that's a good point. But he's a little naive sometimes. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. He is a kid still, and they balance the fact that he's 12 pretty well and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Because that's the thing, like, a fully grown adult would have been way more cautious with all of that. You know what I mean? Sure. But Dipper is 12, and they wrote write him to be hasty, because honestly, if you were that excited, you'd probably be hasty at 12. You know, even if you're really smart. Yeah, and maybe that's part of the reason that Stan actually takes this relatively well. Like, he's frustrated, obviously, but he doesn't really go into panic mode. He's just like, ah, Dipper, like, your obsession's gonna get you in trouble. Like, you're grounded when this is over. And I just wanted to say, just for that temperance, two points for my favorite character for Stan. I'm saying it so early. And, and uh, there's a million reasons, and we can get into it later, because Stan's, like, excellent in this episode. But I'm not even joking you. I would have dropped kicked that kid across a football field. If Stop they it, no, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Only Lucas, if they were my family. No, I'm just kidding. That's worse. Lucas, Only quote, if they were I would drop kick a child. Oh, boy. Yo, man. Um, I mean, that's, like, I mean... I like I'm not gonna spoil anything, but, like, the stakes of what's going on right now are high, dude. Really high. You know, these are not low stakes that we're dealing with on the show right now. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the fact that he didn't complete... And, and I'm not even saying that I'm justified in doing that. I'm saying I would have just been so stressed and emotionally charged from that situation that I would have just overreacted. You know what I mean? Like, I'm exaggerating, yeah. obviously. But, like, in all honesty, I would have lost my cool, whatever that means. And he didn't. That's impressive. It is. And, again, you know, you sort of think to yourself, oh, Stan would lose his cool here, and then you're like, but does Stan ever really? You know, again, we've seen him get frazzled a couple times, and it's like in the heat of the moment when everything is urgent, but he actually is a very cool and collected character. I cannot wait to get to the zombie fight, but that's the same we'll get there. (laughs) Great, well, I, and... In his nature, being calm and going straight into uh, straight into problem solving mode, uh, he does go ahead and sneak behind the secret vending machine. Yes, uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure that's actually where they stop it at the moment. Uh, yeah, then we cut to the party. We do, and you know, I, I glossed over it, but we're getting a lot of the flavor of the Gravity Falls town back in this first episode. Uh, I think again, part of its exposition to remind the uh, audience. Um, of the different characters that exist. We have uh, Mabel's best friends, Candy and Grenda. We have Lazy Susan, Manly Dan, uh, Tyler Cute Biker. Get him! 
And yep. then it's the cops that show up. I we saw pool check. We also saw pool check. I just wanted to point did. that out. We saw pool check and Gordy, you know, so we're being reminded and they even drop the names of all the characters to kind of remind the audience, hey, this is the town. These are the people who live here and they're all here at this party. We have one but, of the best cop scenes of all time in this scene. I know. And then we get our cops, which are arguably, I think there's definitely a case for them being the best minor characters in the show. Not um, the secret agents for everyone listening. The local cops, not the national secret agent people. Right. Um, and they were so good in the first season. And here they are again. They're here because this is the loudest party in town. But do they arrest them? No. They want in. They want and in. This is why I love the cops in this show. This, these are the only cops I'd invite to my party, dude. Because uh, not only do we get this scene where she says, like Mabel says, like have the night of your dreams, and then puts party favors in their mouths, and it's hilarious. She actually slaps one of the cops' butts as they walk away. <laughs> Yeah. And I literally had to pause and go, wait, what? And rewatch it twice because it was so quick and they didn't do like an animation effect of like, like it looks, it looks like there was a sensor that was like, you can't have it be that jiggly of a booty slap. Like you need to calm it down because there was no, it, like if you slow it down, it didn't look like real contact was made, but you can hear the sound effect and like, see that that's where Mabel was slapping. And I was like, oh. Whoa! That's so funny! It was so funny. That's an amazing observation. Um, <laughs> I, I noticed stupid things. You're right, though. Even funnier, when you go back and listen to our uh, episode where we reacted to all of the Alex Hirsch tweets and about his battles with censorship uh, yeah. throughout the Gravity Falls creative process. You know, and knowing that that's okay. in there is, yeah, but, that's but very, we, very funny. We gotta get to this zombie fight. I'm excited. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, everybody's partying, you know, everything seems to be going well, but Dipper, being Dipper, he greets the government agents, he tries to tell them, I've got this journal, and they just dismiss it as junk from his uncle's gift shop. So, again... To be fair, we each have our own respective journals that we've read. And it is a gift shop item. I have read it and I have bought it, in fact, as a prop from a show. So they are not wrong completely. It's a fair point. Um, And Dipper, being the most himself he's ever been, panics and just decides to use a what seems to be a random spell from the book just to do something in order to try to, like, make these agents pay attention to him. I don't remember exactly what it is, but what he said... I think he either said, like, like George Romero... There was something that he said that was in Latin a reference to Night of the Living Dead. I don't remember if it was the creator's name or if it was, like... like I don't remember exactly what it was, but there was some reference to it when he said that spell. Um, okay, that's really interesting. Yeah, um, and then there are other references to Night of the Living Dead throughout this whole sequence. I was gonna say, you've teased it enough, but this spell... It brings in a bunch of zombies, right? At first, it's just one. This crater opens up, and he's like, ha, proof. See? It's a zombie. And the, the agents are having a freakout moment because yeah. these are still just dudes who have never seen anything truly paranormal, presumably. Yeah, their, their reality has just been shattered, and they're struggling to deal with it. It is and, so uh, funny to me how casual Dipper is through that conversation. You know, in a way, I've been in Dipper's shoes, and it's true. It's pretty funny to see someone happen that for the first time. <laughs> for the reality to be shattered. Anyway. Oh, you mean for them to see zombies uh, walk the earth? Yeah, I mean, or whatever. <laughs> I'm trying to see if I can find any information on what this... Um... You're trying to find it? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I'm just really curious now that you brought it up, because it's the kind of thing that normally I would like to find if I can. Ah, here it is. Okay. There it is. Body Rise, Lord Devil, or Dominion. Conquer the world. That's pretty freaking that's dark. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the translation in Latin. Um, wild. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so awesome. God, I love this show. <laughs> and then the Night of the Living Dead references were just spread out throughout the sequence, which again I'll get into because there are so many awesome zombie movie references that they drop in here. 
Right. And it turns out the agents have reason to be concerned because they suddenly get swarmed by zombies, you know, and Dipper's like, it, oh no, actually, wait, this is bad. This is another one of those situations, like, like on the Halloween episodes, where if you stop, if you, like, stopped watching, you would think that these secret agents died. Because it looks like they just straight up get eaten by zombies and dragged underneath the earth. I almost thought I saw one of them get bitten, but now... We did. On, like, how one of them ends. totally did get bitten. I feel like that's a continuity issue. Yeah, it is. Because we see them later, totally alive and fine. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I think that that's an issue. Because we see, to spoil it, like, a, another character that does get bitten and turns into the zombie. So I'm like, okay, where's the... I, I, I it, Yeah. It didn't annoy me the first time I watched it. But when I was paying attention, I was like, ah, oh, come on. Y'all are it so took, tight with it, your writing, usually. Yep, you missed that one. You missed that one, I'll point it out. It you know, that's, probably... that's, that's the trap to being a really good writer is it's that much harder to lose your audience because you've steeped them so far, you know? That's a really good point. Uh, and, and that is true. Now, what's interesting, you know, with this crater opening up, the party going on, nobody knows that this is zombies yet. As far as they know, it's just this earthquake. Yeah, um, I think it's the big one about to wreck the Pacific Northwest. They do. They're acting that way. You know, like, this is like... Yeah. The worst oh my thing gosh, no, wait, they totally confirm that this is the Pacific Northwest, and I don't think Eastern Oregon here anyway is considered part of that, so maybe that dot was also a continuity error. Maybe they were so focused on other plot that they just messed up a couple times in this one. I think geographically it's a part of it, because I've seen people go as far as to include Boise in that distinction, uh, which is, like, in the next state over. So In the Pacific know. Northwest? Yeah, and, like, Alaska. And some people have different definitions on how far they stretch it. I don't know if, like, there's a common consensus or not. Bruh. I'm just telling you as... I'm just telling you as a local. Straight up. It's from Oregon. I'm not concluding Alaska. That is not the Pacific. May, I, like, it's, it's like Oregon and Washington. You know what I mean? That's the culture. Even so, it, I'm not going to live in a world... I will not live in a world where Gravity Falls is not part of the Pacific Northwest. I am yeah. considering I, it canon. Everyone, let this be known. I'm not saying that this is necessarily like a biographical region, but it's a cultural region that I'm referring to. It's Oregon and Washington. We're built sure. different out here. <laughs> uh, and the funny thing to me about this uh, scene, Mabel is so upset people are leaving, which is not an appropriate emergency response. I am trained in emergency responses to when <laughs> events happen because I worked at Disney and... This is so bad. She's like, no, come back, everybody. You know, it's just a natural disaster. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, like, the response, natural response to an earthquake is also not run around with your arms flailing. Uh, that's also accurate. Yeah, no, uh, the uh, listen, I'm not mad because I, I doubt that Mabel and team had an emergency response plan written up when they decided to put together this karaoke event. Well, you know what? I got my master's in arts leadership and cultural management. Fun fact, that's actually what my degree is called. And I took classes on event management. Mm -hmm. And that is a poorly managed event, if I've ever seen it one. Is. They should always have that ready to go. You need uh, emergency continuity. Not that everyone needs an earthquake preparedness plan. If anything, I, I would probably not have that in an Oregon event in my own... You know what? Actually, that's a pretty reasonable oversight. You know what? No, not for Gravity Falls, it's not. <laughs> Well, Mabel is a creative person on the team, right? And she's putting all this together herself. She oh needs God. somebody else to come in and do the logistic work. The way you said that was so like, she's the creative person. <laughs> all of those creative people, they don't do real work. I mean, we're talking about us too, so I can be a little bit shady, I guess. Wow. Anyway, it's not an earthquake. It's zombies. And I think she realizes pretty quickly, oh, this is actually probably a big enough deal to cancel my party. Dude, um, only, I feel like she almost thought it was less big of a deal. Like, okay, it's not an earthquake, it's zombies. I, I'm, like, ready for that one. Oh, that was your impression? I, well, she oh. does start by saying, oh, maybe they're just an ugly flash mob. Like, she's hoping it's not actual yeah! zombies. And then she's also like, Dipper, what did I tell you not to do? Raise the dead. What did you literally do? Raise the dead. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Uh, but luckily, Lucas, yeah. Seuss is here. And Seuss, Seuss knows everything here. about avoiding zombies from movies, like, right? I've seen all the movies. I know exactly what to do. And you want to know what happens? What happens is exactly what would happen in a zombie movie. That dude gets bit immediately. 
Because you can't and, have the most competent guy chugging along in the movie, right? Unless it's Night of the Living Dead, because <laughs> the original one, then yeah, you can. No, and there's a reason for that, because th- this person serves the purpose they need, in which case, or in this specific case, Seuss as a zombie. Please tell me about Seuss as a zombie. Seuss is probably the most OP zombie of all time. Not only, so, okay, so first of all, his, like, super chill, like, still being Seussness while he's a zombie, like, hey, like, guys, I'm so sorry, but I totally want your brains. You know what I mean? Yeah. It actually is a nod, I think it's a nod to, because he already says, like, I know everything about zombie movies, I've seen them all, so I imagine they've probably, whoever wrote this has probably seen them all. So I imagine that that was a uh, reference to uh, Shaun of the Dead, which is a parody of other zombie movies where the best friend gets bitten by a zombie, but just becomes a chill guy that they hang out with at the end of the movie. Same general concept. We have a Night of the Living Dead reference straight up where they just start boarding up all the windows. And then Seuss goes, hey, I told you where the, I told all the zombies where the uh, power breakers are. Because that's exactly what the zombies would do is shut down the power. Which is also a thing in multiple zombie movies. Um, And I love seeing even the way that they stage it with, uh, with Mabel and Dipper going, board up the windows, board up the windows. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that is like literally textbook. That's, and for those that don't know. Uh, I'm a little bit of a film nerd. Night of the Living Dead is actually the first zombie movie that came out. Um, I'm pretty sure it was by George Romero in uh, yeah. the 50s. I found um, this in my research for a different reason, which we'll get to later. And fun fact about that, I just like saying this because people don't know it. This movie, even though it is a zombie horror movie, it was actually a huge... The whole thing was a huge analogy for uh, racism because it was actually the first African-American protagonist we ever had in a Hollywood full-length, full-feature film. I don't bet you didn't know that. Um, And uh, and he's the main character and the last one to survive this whole zombie thing. And all of these other white people are around him freaking out and, like, doing all this stupid stuff. And also being, like, frankly, slightly prejudiced and um, judgmental of the whole situation going on. And there's all of these themes that are, like, playing on that, right? And, uh, oh, man, I, I, you haven't seen this movie, have you? I have not. I, and I mean, I, and I'll I bet a lot of people okay watching this haven't. No, it's not. I really cannot spoil the ending because it's so good. And okay, it makes sure. the movie matter so much. And it's so different from anything that was done at the time. And that's another reason why it's so groundbreaking. But I'll just say that the ending also very much thematically relates to that plot line in an extremely profound way that, like, when you see it, you'll be like, whoa, that's crazy. Damn. Anyway. Terrific. No, that, that's great. And, you know, something else that I thought was interesting about that movie, I don't believe the na- the word zombie is said. At least that is uh, that something is that I read. You that's know, also a it's... joke in uh, zombie culture. That was also a joke in Shaun of the Dead. Like, you can't say zombie in a zombie movie. Zombie is a uh-huh. word that is said outside of zombie movies. Um, that's interesting. I mean, it's just a joke, really, because, like, the original zombie movies didn't use it. Um, but it's silly because zombies had been written about in literature and used the Z, they used the Z word. So, you know, yeah. it's not like yeah. there was a precedent for it to never be used in any literature or anything like that. Sure. Well, the good news about the situation that they are in with the zombies, these characters, is that Grungle Stan is a badass. The only problem is they are not willing to find him because he doesn't even believe in the supernatural. Uh, yeah, so what what was he up to? He was doing something else, though. He was busy with something. He was, well, he was in the, so now is when we flash back to inside the vending machine area again, and he's got yeah, this right. internal monologue as he's working and investigating. You know, he's sort of thinking, Dipper doesn't know what he's messing with. And he has this really nice moment where he realizes he's stubborn, just like me when I was young. Yeah, a little... Man, this show is so good in how it paces those little family moments into all of the... You know, it's so good. I love mm-hmm. that. Those moments make this so good. Oh, it makes it, me so It happy. does. And as he's not paying attention to the security cams because he's so focused, you do see in one of those cams, as we zoom into it back to the plot, uh, the yep. kids running from the zombies and they're trying to board up the shack. Also very classic horror movie editing technique to have a security camera you know be your sweep your sweep cut very clever. yeah well or, and you know we also get more flavor from seuss where he's like oh dudes like i totally uh taught them how to use the fuse box i'm the smartest one of the bunch yeah 
And it's so funny because you're right. Like the minute you have Seuss as the, the, the ironically, the brains behind the zombies, he's like, oh, dude, I know exactly how to like get around all of the things that you would need to get around. And they play it so well, man. Like this is really a great homage to horror fans mixed into this also otherwise excessively complex and interesting episode. <laughs> It is. Um, and it's interesting. I don't know what the general lore of zombies is, but uh, in the book itself, you know, Dipper has no idea how to stop a zombie. I feel like your first guess would be what you see in the movies is like, you know, get the head of the zombie, right? And it doesn't seem like that's really an idea that comes through. Because um, I don't, they, did at any point, did they knock one off and then have the zombie keep going? I don't think so. No, I'm pretty sure actually taking the heads off did work. I think we did see that happen. Which, I guess uh, toward the end, if, I think so. If they're citing Night of the Living Dead as their zombie lore, which actually it seemed like they were for the most part, um, yeah, taking out the brain in that Night of the Living Dead takes out the zombie. Okay, well... Uh, they're not Night of the Living... We, yeah, Night of the Living Dead? Yeah, Night of the Living Dead. Sorry. There's a lot of dead movies, I forget. You're good. And, and I mean, it, it is, this is important too when Dipper says, oh, like the weaknesses aren't in the book. Because that's when Stan bursts in, in like a really just amazing fashion. I chime uh, in. Haven't you people ever heard? I don't know why I always think that song whenever people burst through a door. I do know oh, why, because I was a kid of the 2000s. That's terrific. And Stan tells the kids to go to the attic. He has an amazing line. He's like, okay, you dead jerks. Ready to die twice. Yo, okay, this whole scene is just one of the most, I think this might actually be in my top three or five favorite scenes in the whole show, because wow. the second he shows up, the, again, like for me, Grunkle Stan is a, gr because of the way that they emotionally design this character, it gives him a great way to illustrate how serious a scene is for the audience. For him to look at Mabel and Dipper and go, kids, go to the attic, and they go, Stan, and he goes, Go! We've never seen that, and that is a very relatable thing. Like, if you've ever been in a family situation where your parents get, like, super serious in a moment's notice, like, the tone changes, and you feel the tone change at this part of the story. Grunkle Stan gets a baseball bat and puts on brass knuckles and starts beating the shit out of zombies! And it's so cool! It's so awesome! It's almost like an anime fight sequence, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he really starts going and you feel the hits. It's animated so well and so cleverly. And it's... And I also want to say that, like, we get Stan voice acting through the whole fight, which is really important for animated fight scenes, because if you don't have that, it really takes away a lot of the emotion of the grunts. And the way that Stan voice acts and gives lines and like really sounds like he's actually fighting for his family is phenomenal in this. Yeah, scene. Alex, Alex Hirsch himself killing it. Yeah, like this really is like in and, and I would say that Gravity Falls actually in terms of like fight and chase sequences usually does pretty well. This is like an S tier fight sequence from the show. Easy. Totally. That'd be a fun list to make. Oh, it would. All right. We'll log that for the future. Yeah. Dip, Dipper and Mabel get to the attic and they hear some heavy knocking. You know, you've got like a moment of, oh my God, are the zombies here? But it is Stan. He's gotten to them. And uh, Dipper, well, I guess you can't deny that magic exists anymore, right? Uh, and Stan finally comes clean. Is this the okay. right move? First of all, what a petty thing for Dipper to say. Well, at least I was right. <laughs> like, dude, could you like put a lid on it for five seconds? Jesus Christ. Yeah, you literally like unleashed a swarm of zombies on our entire town. And, and yeah, I think Stan still plays the right move, right? Because, like, I mean, what is he going to say? Like, remember the dinosaur episode where he's like, nah, that's super, that's not supernatural, that's dinosaurs, that's totally different. You know, and he, yeah, and he uh, just, like, lets it slide. He can't do that for this. Zombies are zombies. The undead mm -hmm. is the undead. There's nothing that you can say about the supernatural. This is, like, textbook supernatural, you know? And... And so I do think that it makes sense for him to say, kids, like, I've been trying to protect you this whole time. Because that is easily the most believable route that you could go at this point. You know it's what true. I mean? And you're right. That's a good point. He is still kind of lying. But he's going with, a little bit. you know, the, <laughs> like, yeah, like, I know this is, I know the stuff here is real, uh, but I'm only hiding it to protect you. There's definitely no other reasons. Yeah, um, the only is the part that he's lying about. But the thing is, I do believe that Stan is, like, 
genuinely doing this to protect them. Like, I genuinely think that there is a reality where he could have, like, told Dipper and Dipper could have helped him and made everyone's lives easier. But I don't think there's any way that he could have known that. You know what I mean? It's a good point. You know, I do think that that's still largely part of his motivation. Um, And if the Stan Stan moments weren't good enough already, there is a realization uh, with some black light in the bedroom that there's some (laughs) hidden text. Okay. Alec... There's a realization with some black light in the bedroom. All right. I I had to point it out. You can't say that. You cannot say that. (laughs) We're done. (laughs) Later. Finish the podcast with someone else. Oh my god. (laughs) (sighs) We were doing so good. This may be one of the funniest things we've ever said on the show. Ugh. All right, yes, continue to, uh, just back up your own humor. (laughs) Wow, audience, I'm so funny. (laughs) No, you're funny. I'm laughing because you said it. (sighs) I didn't say it. I just pointed it out. We find out that there is invisible ink in Journal 3, Lucas, and there's hidden text, which, by the way, Stan is shook by that revelation. Which is a very quick moment that happens, but it is true. And they are able to find the secret to defeating zombies because it's written in the black light. And that is that the zombie skulls are shattered by a three-part harmony. Mabel knows what to do. Okay, everybody. You're not I just, it, are you? The whole crowd just needs to know how many jokes I just resisted telling and thank me for it before we move on. Okay, now we're good. Thank you, Lucas. Please Thank you so much for your uh, restraint. <laughs> You're welcome. For your celibacy, if you will. You know, you have no idea how grateful you should really be. All right. On the roof of the mystery shack, Love Patrol Alpha, that being <laughs> Dipper and Stan and Mabel. <laughs> still going! Love Patrol Alpha! <laughs> okay, sorry. Love Patrol Alpha, the family gets together on the roof. Is that just... <laughs> I need you to try to, like, not do like, the visual hysterics, because the audience can't see you right now, but when you say a thing and then, like, keel over on your other side, laughing so hard that the microphone can't pick it up. <laughs> oh, I'm crying. I'm actually crying. I don't know how... <laughs> okay, we gotta get through this. <laughs> Stan says... Mabel, our lives may not be worth this. Which is also a hilarious line. Not the same joke, but still very funny. (laughs) No, because to to remind people what's actually going on here, they are singing karaoke. Uh, And and Mabel has been trying to prime them to be in a family band this whole time. And this is their moment, and it's pretty hilarious. I actually wrote, this is, like, it feels shoehorned, but in such an obvious way that it's hysterical. Like obviously they set it up this way for this to be the com, com- for this to be the climax, but like it's still so fucking funny that they did. Again, very Gravity Falls for them to be like the only yeah. way that the zombies can be defeated is by them like going back to Mabel's original idea of putting a band together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot. This was written in like 2010 or 2012 or whatever it was. I don't remember. Uh, there's a line in the song that Dipper sings, Friday night, we're gonna party till dawn. Don't worry, daddy, I've got my favorite dress on. Oh my god, you're right, that is what he said. Which I feel like is a line that would not have gotten through the censors now. I feel like that's a line. It had a different meaning then. Maybe they... (laughs) Is it the daddy that you're questioning? Oh yeah, That's the part that I'm questioning. Yes, yes. I just thought that after your your hilarity from the other scene that you might be able to find a connection here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, despite, maybe, never mind. Despite the song that Dipper says is stupid, they go for the performance, the zombie heads start exploding, uh, Seuss is protected because he was watching Gossiping Housewives on TV as a zombie and never went outside, which is a great way to get around that, and the yeah, zombies are defeated, we made it. Yeah, and then they also have a way to cure Seuss somehow with, like, formaldehyde and... I don't remember exactly what they said, but it was a weird thing. 
Yeah, there's a page on the journal that's also in the black light about curing zombification, so they're able to uh, cure Seuss that way. Um, you know, I guess the, they kind of close out the moral light dipper. Sorry for ruining everything, but Mabel's happy because she got to sing karaoke with her two favorite people. Uh, and important plot point, Stan lets Dipper hold on to the journal if he uses it for self-defense and doesn't go looking for trouble. Um, you know, Which at this point, he would have a very valid reason to confiscate it. Just oh, saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, at, at this point, I mean, at this point, he might actually be a little bit impressed with Dipper that he's been able to to do this much. He might, like, mm-hmm. actually be starting to actually be like, okay, like, he can handle himself. Also, maybe still would be sus? I don't know. You're right. I, maybe this is the one point where I question him not taking the book, especially after he knows about the dark light thing. Well, he is, in a way, kind of trying to make a deal here, because um, he says that... You know, in return, he agrees, no more bombshell secrets. Of course, Dipper and Stan, at the moments of this so-called deal, have their fingers behind their backs. Uh, Of course, Dipper is going to continue looking for trouble. Of course, Stan has more bombshell secrets. Um, I just want to tell everybody right now, breaking promises makes your word not valuable. And that is the most one of the most invaluable things that you could possibly have if you cherish it. Man, we've gone through some waves today. (laughs) I really believe um, that that's true. It's important we, to keep keep to what you say. Sure, and I should say, Lucas, uh, we alluded to this in the beginning, but the agents do come back in the post-credit scene, which is arguably the most important post-credit scene that we've gotten so far. Yeah. Um, because they emerge not as zombies, uh, even though they got bitten, one of them, we think. But it's really just a moment for the agents to say, whoa, like, this is bigger than we ever imagined. We need to bring in the big guns. Uh, Tr- Agent Trigger says they'll never believe us. Agent Power says will make them believe us. We don't know who them is as they are talking about this, but we assume the government or something. I imagined that guy doing exactly what Dipper did when he goes to talk to them and saying the exact same spell and going, see, zombies, everyone! (laughs) How else is he gonna make them? What else is he gonna do? What does that even mean? We're gonna make them. How? Yeah, what are you gonna prove? And I... I (laughs) I don't remember exactly how it ends up coming about, but I'm excited to get either. to the episodes when we do address this. Now, yeah, Lucas, me too. you said that Stan easily was your two points for the reasons that you said. I don't know if I you did. want to say more about it, but I am in agreement. I also gave two points to Stan. So, plot, obviously. I don't even feel like I need to harp on that one too long. It's pretty obvious. You know, he's just like such a key figure in this episode. The way that he defended his kids, I think, is really cool. And I just like that there's something about defending your kids that I think is really sick. You know what I mean? Like when you when you mm-hmm. see that done well in in TV and film, I think it's just such like a primal feeling that people can feel so confident about because like defending your family is something that means the most to people, you know? So it's sure. like such a like such a raw human emotion that they illustrated so well, and I love that. Um and then he's also funny, obviously, as well, the whole time. He's still got good lines, and that's good. So, uh, my second one goes to Zombie Seuss. Me too. Easy. Now, does Zombie Seuss get a different category than regular Seuss? No, I want to give this... I'll give him to Seuss. It's the same guy. That's a funny idea, though. <laughs> I, I should have said, also, these points that we are giving, for those of you who may be tuning in for the first time, it is a new season, um, is the mystery True. plaque, where we give out points to our favorite characters of the season, and then we mm-hmm. reflect at the end. Yeah, I, I believe Grunkle Stan won the first season, and we'll see if he wins the second one as well. It's certainly possible if he wins the overall award when we're all said and done. Uh, and I, I don't remember if I said it, but I also gave my one point to Zombie Seuss. I think I said it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. So something else that we try to do is reflect on some of the insights that are in the actual Journal 3 that was published after Gravity Falls aired. Um, my first question was, oh my god, does my journal have stuff hidden in blacklight that I was not aware of? And the answer... (laughs) You were saying? The answer is no, but (laughs) there is a limited edition version of the journal... That has 10,000 copies, and it actually has the hidden messages inside. (laughs) Apparently they go for an insane amount of money on eBay. Yeah, I'm not kidding. They made 10,000 versions, and they're marked. It comes with a bunch of, like, special features, and that includes, like, invisible messages that you... Oh, my God! 
Yeah, it seems like it's more glow-in-the-dark than blacklight, but I would love to get my hands on one of these so bad. Um, so, That's yeah. so cool. Jeez, it dude. is really cool. It's amazing the amount, that it exists. The amount of intelligence that went into the show, I would maybe almost say is easily more than any other show has ever been given in history. There was so much in terms of like, you know, the ciphers being written in and the plot being super woven and references to plot. And like, this is literally like such a brilliantly designed show. Like, I don't know if another TV show has been given this much attention to detail. And that's saying something because there are some amazing like anime and Western cartoons that put a ton of attention to detail. Like, I'm not even saying that, that whoever is listening to this who thought, oh, this isn't as good as X show. Like... Maybe not, but it's up there. You know what I mean? Like, it's good. Well, and speaking of which, let me just say some of the cryptograms that are in this episode. Because usually the cryptogram is just in the very last scene. They always give us one. And that was just, welcome back. Which, you know, is nice. You know, you you solved it. We're happy that you're here. Welcome back, everyone, to Gravity Bros. Yeah. Across this episode, dude, there's a ton of other ciphers hidden throughout. There is one on Gideon's prison wall. And uh, that translates to Whittle. Uh, there's satellite footage that the agents are looking at in the beginning, and all it gives us is search for the, and then you can't see the rest, which I think is interesting. Um, the, yeah, the bottom of Dipper's mystery board that he's explaining at a certain point in the episode just says, why is Wendy so perfect? Um, uh, yeah, I hate that. I know Lucas hates it. See, he had to give you a little bit of Dipper Wendy content in the episode, even if you didn't know know it was there. I know! You know what? I felt like it was there. You mentioned it earlier. We had a vibe. There was the vibe. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Agent Powers' card that he gives to Dipper has a cipher on it, which translates to flag. I'm wondering if that's like a reference to the American flag because of the government, or if there's something else going on there. I honestly don't know. Or it's a big red flag because it's the government. <laughs> sure. <laughs> They flash to a picture of the Leprechaun section of Journal 3, which shows two ciphers, one being Watch Out, and the other being Kill Me Please. So that's in the kids' show. Oh my gosh! That's a good one. I'm glad they snuck that in there. That's funny. I know, and I think the most interesting one, we see a page of a dark skull filled with ciphers toward the end of the episode that gets shown to us, and that reads, The man downstairs is very clever. Can he hide his plans forever? Whoa, man, this is such a cool show. That's lit. They loaded this first episode of season two with ciphers. Like, we did not have nearly this many to go through in the past um, episodes. So I, I wanted to make sure to highlight those, because there's actually a lot of really good ones in there, all that are kind of worthy of discussion. So, Lucas, Journal 4, where we induct cryptids or mysteries from our world, there's only one that we can talk about today. Yeah, uh, pretty obvious. The undead. And... It is, sure, zombies, the undead, however you want to classify it. We like Jesus. to rate the, the likelihood of these existing. Of course, you know, I've never thought of zombies as a legitimate cryptid in the sense that people thought they were real. But when I did some research... <laughs> oh, yeah. There, I mean, there's a big fear that people have of zombies being real in the future or people who believe that there has been a person who maybe came back to life as a zombie in a weird way. There's even a, a Harvard, um, a Harvard scientist who has some research that he's done on like the possibility of some kind of like zombie effects being possible. There is like, I would recommend people do the proper research because I had a really tough time like sifting through it all. But so this is, I actually, um, zombie, this is the thing. Uh, I hate to be this guy, but zombies are actually 100% real guaranteed. And that might sound really silly, and everyone's like, all right, Lucas is saying something silly. But actually, if you look at, not on, not in humans, but in other uh, organisms, there are parasites that exist that will pretty much completely kill and take over a body and use that body as its as its source, effectively making it a zombie. Could we not, like give me a genuine fear of zombies by the end of this podcast. I was ready to have a silly discussion. And if y'all uh, want to hear even worse things, the amount that parasites affect human behavior throughout history and possibly even in everyday life is astounding. 
don't. All right. If you looked into, I had a friend who was in biochem and started researching microbiology and telling me about all this, like how how influential parasitic uh, parasit parasites are on human behavior. I was like blown away when I was seeing some of the stuff in this book. It's really fascinating. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I, I, think I, I think that's similar to what the Harvard scientist was involved in, too, a similar field. Yeah, um, I believe you know, it. I, I know that there is, like, some actual research that's been done, but to, let, let me ask you a different question. And feel free not to answer it if you're not, like, if you don't know to the extent of which uh, this applies. But, like, what about the possibility, what is your fear level that an actual, like, zombie apocalypse could ever be, like, a real situation that people would have to worry about? I mean, to be honest... This is this is also probably going to be a really depressing answer that doesn't make help people sleep at night. But <laughs> I think the chances of us getting killed by something like that exist. I mean, like, here's the best answer is like COVID-19, right? Because we've seen mass pandemics happen. So it's not like it's unheard of for something like that. And a lot of, you know, people in the medical science were saying that COVID wasn't even that bad. It was a bad flu but like it could have been a lot worse and we should really take stuff like that seriously because we're lucky it wasn't worse. Now, you know, whether or not the scale of that could be straight up zombification, I know it's not impossible. Like I know it's not impossible. We've seen it in parasites. There's no reason to think that a biological life form cannot die and have its body taken over. Okay. Like there's really no reason to think that it can't happen. However, I think we're way, way, way more likely to kill all of ourselves with environmental, uh, laziness and lack of care for our earth way before anything like that's going to happen so if you're going to be paranoid about anything i think we should probably just worry about uh how wasteful we are on a daily basis sorry that's the truth can we go back to the black light discussion <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna end it there i've got nothing else to say I, I listen i haven't done my research on this stuff i don't think zombies are gonna kill you uh let me just put that out there okay uh, based on my limited education on the topic. And uh, all I know, Lucas, is that we are back, and the Gravity Bros are here, and we are going to finish this adventure, and I'm really excited about it. So thank you all uh, for being here. This podcast is brought to you by the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network, which has lots of rewatches of your favorite shows and movies over there. Uh, you can find more of Lucas and I uh, by watching Jester Bros Cartoon Theater on YouTube. How are you maintaining the outro? And we are on social media. Links are in the description. And the Discord, if you've listened this long, you'd probably be interested in the uh, Gravity Bros chat in the JBC Discord. JBCT. Oh, <laughs> uh, you can God. chat and share notes with other people about these Gravity Bros podcasts. And there's also a lot of general animation channels because it's really about all kinds of cartoons, which we love. Um, I this will man. say... I this I'm behind man. on five-star iTunes reviews, which I will get to next time. Uh, Lucas feels like he needs to say one more thing in the middle of my outro. What do you got? <laughs> this man is a professional. I am not. <laughs> thank you to Tesla Scarborough for the cover art. And even though she's not back this season, thank you, Anna LaFleur, being the voice of the mysterious woman. You did a fantastic job. We will see you all next week, I think. Happy sleuthing. Much love, everyone. Peace. <laughs>